0: I'm excited about what this year is holding for each and every one of us. Uh, I just think God has great things on the horizon. We know he always has great things for us, right? But I just, I feel like there's something coming that God is getting ready to do in this area, in this region, and just really move in the lives of his people in a powerful, powerful way. Are you ready for that? Because I'm ready for that. As you know, we've been in 2020 Vision, our series through January. We've been talking a lot about just a vision God has for our church, uh, where we're headed, and that always involves you know, vision and destiny God has created for each and every one of us. For me, when we talk about purpose, when we talk about vision, I, I just always kind of see it in the full context that God has a vision, a plan for His kingdom here on earth, and that involves using the local church in different contexts, in different communities to make an impact for him to carry out that work, and those local churches that God has a vision for involve people who are the life and the members of the body executing those things, so his purpose for each and every one of us is unique but fits into his overall plan, and I love that about God, that he's moving us forward, but he's also moving us forward together, and he's moving his kingdom forward at the same time. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? And God is mighty. He is powerful. He's on his throne and he is fully in control. And as we yield to him, he will accomplish the great things that he wants to do in and through us by his strength and not by our own. Such a great revelation to get because sometimes I think that we feel that there's some of us, some of our strength that's getting the job done. Uh, and in reality, Jesus says, or God says, Hey, it's, it's in your weakness that my strength is perfected. And so I just, I love that, that he, he shoulders the load for us, you know? He just invites us into relationship, but he shoulders the load. So today, as we close out 2020 vision, let me say this as we get into the message, that the first three weeks, I would summarize as being a lot about who we are, what we believe, and where we're going, where we feel God is taking us, the vision that he's leading us into, heard a lot about some of the things that are happening right now that are on the horizon, what we believe God's spoke over this church since the beginning that are still uh, happening. So there's a lot about who we are and where we're going. Today, particularly, is a message about how, how, and I think that this is a message that applies not just to the church necessarily, how we are accomplishing our vision, but again, each and every one of us, how. In today's world, do we carry out this mission and this vision that God has for our lives? And i gonna come at it like this. In business, I, I've, so I've been a part of several startup projects, startup ventures, where we've founded or launched different companies. And uh, in the beginning, if you do it properly, you always go through uh, what's called a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T. That stands for Strengths. Weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So, of course, you want to evaluate your strengths. What are your niche areas? What are the things you do really well? Weaknesses, you know, where are some things that you might be vulnerable in? Um, be real about that. Opportunities, what, what are the present opportunities that exist to make the impact? And then the fourth one is threat, which is what are the threats that potentially lie in front of us? What are the things that could derail us or upend us, compromise the mission that we are about. And there are always threats that exist. It is unwise to just move into a situation without evaluating those threats, I would say. Um, Because they're there, that's the reality, so to ignore them or pretend like they don't exist really is just a a foolish way to approach a business venture. And so I want to say it today that there are some threats, there are things in our world, in our culture today that are kind of that present Um, enemy, if you will, right now, that are threatening the advancement of God's plans in our lives and and in the church as as well today. And so we're going to get into that, and I want you to think in that context as we move into this message. Like This thing that I'm going to address today is an area that, frankly, for me personally, I have been on a journey with God for over a year now, and He has been dealing with this thing in me and working this thing out in me in a deep level, and it's been very painful. It's actually been very painful. I wish I could say that, you know, praise God, it's through the fire, I'm already, uh, to be real frank and transparent with you, I am still, I'm still wrestling with this. I feel like God's opened my eyes to some things, he's leading me through this, and I see where he's taking me, but at the same time, it's still a real struggle, and I'm not even sure that I'm doing it well. But I do think it's something we need to understand. For many of us, we probably are wrestling with it. For some of us, maybe you've got a hold on this, praise God. And for others, it's exi- it exists in your world, but you may be totally unaware of it, and this may be an eye-opening experience for you today. And I just think that if we get a hold of this, it's going to make us stronger individually in our lives and it's going to make us stronger of course as a corporate body so who's ready for a big word today open up your bibles to luke chapter 10 luke chapter 10 going to read verses 38 through 42 will be on the screen but if you have your bible just follow along and this is in the new king james version now it happened as they went That Jesus uh, entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Can we pray? Lord, we just invite you today to speak into our hearts. God, just breathe upon this message and help us to see what you want us to see, to hear what you want us to hear. We want to be transformed by your word, God, so we invite your Holy Spirit to move in this place today. We permit you, God, access into our hearts, into the rooms of our lives, that you may do the work that you want to do at the deepest and most intimate level that it needs to be done. We resign ourselves to your will right now. Work on us, speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you meant that prayer, and I hope that was where your heart is, because this is, I think, going to be one of those messages today that's going to hit you, that's going to challenge you, that's possibly going to stir some things up in you. And the title of the message this morning, obviously it's 2020 Vision is the series, but the title, I think, might be the most profound title uh, in all the six, seven years that I've been preaching that I've come up with. And the title is Zombie Apocalypse. It really is. Zombie Apocalypse. Because they're coming, evidently. They tell me. I don't know. That's what they say. So, uh, so when I say zombie apocalypse, I'm not actually talking about half-dead, flesh-eating people. I'm talking about a chronic condition that pervades our society presently, that is an enemy at our doorstep, and that is this whole condition, this whole dilemma for so many people of being present, but absent. Does that make sense? We're present in a moment, but we're not really present in the moment. It's that whole thing, you can you know, live in the same house as another person, but that doesn't mean you're gonna have a great marriage, right? I mean, you can be present, but you can be completely absent. So many of the people that I meet with, that I spend time talking to, um, whether it's issues they struggle with addiction or just a number of different things, uh, what I find is that so many people, so many people are living their lives every day at a very unhealthy level of stress and anxiety. There is a... Uh, almost a settling for a mild case of depression in many situations in people's lives. It, it just almost becomes a norm. They live every day to a heightened degree with anxiety, with stress, with depression, burned out, wore down, f- just fatigued, just can't seem to get the rest that they need. So many people deal with insomnia These are all very, very real issues that we face today. So for the last year plus, a little over a year now, goes back into the fall of 2018 for me. God opened my eyes to some things, and he's been taking me on this journey. I've done an immense amount of research around this subject and studied all of the cultural trends that I can find, all of the statistics, evidences, And all these things to basically say there is a chronic condition of busyness in our culture. A chronic condition of busyness in our culture. We as a a people, many of us, are addicted to busyness. Addicted to this high-paced, high-speed, constant, ongoing need to be plugged in to activity. What's happening? What's going on? What's, what's going on in our world? And so my question to you today uh, is, are you a zombie? No, I'm just kidding. That's not my question. The <laughs> question is, what is it doing to your soul? What is that doing to your soul? So let's take a look at the story. We have Mary, we have Martha, and we have Jesus. Perhaps there were some others there. They are the ones the, the Bible tells us about. Mary and Martha are sisters. They live in a place called Bethany, which is close to Jerusalem, just outside of the city, and their brother was actually Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. And so Jesus is making his way through the village, the area that they're in, and he stops in for a meal, They have some time together as friends, but he also stops in to impart We know that because it says that Mary managed to get herself to the feet of Jesus. Praise God. She managed to get herself to the feet of Jesus, and she heard his word. See, Jesus was a friend, and he was also a rabbi, which is a teacher. And we know when Jesus spoke, he says, my words are spirit and they're life. So when I speak, I'm speaking life impartation that you can choose to receive and take in. Now, the interesting thing in the story is, is that Mary and Martha, sisters, probably looked alike. I don't know. Bible never says. They're sisters. Um, but they're very different. They are very different in their present condition, yet they're in the exact same moment. They're in the same moment. They're in the same environment, but they're having two completely different experiences. Okay? Let's look at Mary first. We're going to spend most of our time on Martha. Martha. But Mary, she gets herself to the feet of Jesus, which means that she's nestled up close to him. Being at the feet of Jesus speaks to worship, it speaks to a posture of surrender, it speaks to a posture of receiving what Jesus has to say. She's going to get so close that she's going to hang on his every word, she's going to listen to everything he says, but most importantly, She's so close that she's blocking out everything else in the room that's happening around her. Is anybody getting this today so far? She gets herself to the feet of Jesus. Mary is truly present in the moment. I mean, she's getting what Jesus has to give. She's receiving the full impartation that is available right here now from the Master in the moment. Does Martha get the same thing? She's in the same house, same opportunity, same situation, different outcome. It says here, Martha, she's all over the place. She's very distracted. Distracted actually with what? It says in another translation, she was distracted with busy work, Greg, busy work. Now, we know, because we know Jesus and we look at the full context of Scripture, that Jesus is not uh, putting a black mark on serving. Jesus loves serving. He says we're supposed to be servants. You get that. So you, gotta, you know, I know how to understand and read the Bible, right? He's not saying that. What he is saying is you're, you're distracted with it. You're, you're all caught up in this busy work that's going on. You know what he, you know what he doesn't say he doesn't say, Martha, I'm so proud of you. You are such a great multitasker. I love how you could do so many things at once and get everything it is that I'm trying to tell you. You're not missing anything, Martha, and you're still getting everything done. Great job multitasking. That's not what he says at all. He says, and Martha, she's mad at Mary. Jesus, you didn't tell her, get up and help me. It's like, whoa, Martha. She understands what's important. You don't. right? We know, what, we know who's right and who's wrong in the situation because Jesus tells us this. He says, Mary, she's got to figure it figured out. She's, she's understanding priorities. She's understanding what the most important thing is right now, and she's getting that. Martha, you, on the other hand, I'm sorry, but you're distracted, and you're distracted with a bunch of busy work. In fact, you're so distracted, it says... He tells her that she is worried and troubled about many things. Oh, my God, we're going to go somewhere now. Let's think about this. Worried and troubled. Am I worried and troubled about many things? Hmm. Am I distracted with busy work to the point that I am worried and troubled about many things? Worried and troubled, when you dig into those words... It means to have a disruption of soul. It means to experience heightened levels of anxiety, stress, tension, and worry. Typically about things that you cannot control. Hmm. I wonder, am I worried and troubled about many things? It says that she's distracted with busy work distracted literally means to be divided or pulled in multiple directions so as to disrupt the inner core. In fact, the word in the Greek, I forget what it is for distraction, but we use the English translation. We put distraction in English. Our English word distraction actually came from a French medieval torture device. Distraction. You like that? Distraction. (laughs) Distraction. stop! 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 What was the the torture device? Distraction. They would take the person and they would tie. A rope to their leg, a rope to their other leg, a rope to their arm, a rope to their other arm, and they would hook the other ends to four different horses, and then they would rush, and they would rip them apart into different pieces. Distraction. Like, wow, I'm never going to think of that word the same again. We shouldn't, because she's being pulled away from what matters. You get that? She's being pulled away into many distractions busy work, and she's missing the real purpose, the real moment that's actually here at hand. When we read the parable of the sower, Jesus says, my word is like seed, and it falls in different situations. How it falls and what happens determines whether it brings a harvest or not. Think of the word of God as just being poured out like seed. He says that one of the things that happens is the seed kind of falls to the side and then birds come and snatch it. Everybody say snatched, snatched. How does something get snatched? It's because something comes and grabs it before it has a chance to get embedded in the soil. This is what busyness and distraction do to our lives. It doesn't allow what God wants to do doesn't allow us to stay and be in a moment long enough because we're here, but I'm really there. Does that make sense? I'm somewhere else entirely. And so we're not present in the moment, which is where Jesus is wanting us to be. We, we can't, only God is omnipresent, right? To be everywhere at one time. We, as human beings, are limited to be in one place at any given time. And that's how we're created. That's a design that God put in place for us and for good reason. And when we try to be all these different places at all these different times, and in our head we're living our lives more virtually than we are in the moment, then we become totally divided from what's happening here and now and the things that God wants to do, never have a chance to really get in and permeate in the soil of our heart. Think about it, okay? Relationships. Relationships take time. They need love. Love is patient. Hurry doesn't have time for that. You understand? Busy doesn't have time for that. There's so many things that God wants to do. Wisdom. Wisdom is a gradual, outpouring process of God into our soul, like hurry doesn't have time for that. We find ourselves in a culture that is overrun with a chronic condition of busy. I mentioned to you that I've done a lot of research on this, and I want to give you some statistics. Uh, a lot of this is sourced from university studies or surveys, many things from articles, very reputable, authoritative sources. You, know, you can look a lot of this stuff up. Um, And frankly, they're they're pretty disturbing, but I want to paint the picture for you as it is so we understand the enemy that we're up against because, again, God wants to take us into deep places. He wants to do amazing things, but there are enemies in our present day at our doorstep trying to keep us from that. What do those enemies look like here and now? And this chronic condition of busy is afflicting so many people, suffering from mild, again, anxiety and tension and stress becoming the norm, and they just sort of live with it, kind of cope with it. But eventually, you're going to realize after the fact, you know, it's one of those things where you realize you're bleeding afterwards. You really got hit and got hurt, but you realize later that you're bleeding. I was in Arizona one time for a pastor's retreat, and we went and played golf and it's very different, you know, in that terrain than we're used to here. There's cactuses everywhere. And so I hit my ball, you know, over the green and back into the rough. And so I'm, I'm back there looking around for my ball. And, I'm, you know, like Katie says, I'm like a bull in a china shop or whatever. And so I'm just looking around. Ah, I grab my ball, come over, you know, finish the hole out. And then we're just kind of driving in the cart. And then the guy that I'm with is like, dude, your leg's bleeding. And I look down. I'm like, what do you know? It is. And I had about, I don't know, about 150 needles from a cactus in my leg. All I did was just kind of brush up against it. Um, But I got stuck, but I didn't know that I was injured until I was bleeding. And I think in many cases... People go through life just coping and dealing with this like it's a normal condition to be stressed out, to be high anxiety, mildly depressed, overburdened, overworked, and just sort of deal with it until eventually, guess what? You're going to realize you're bleeding because the wound is finally going to create some serious symptoms. This issue of busyness, it's like a computer, let's say, where you pull up multiple windows at one time, Kelly, and you might have one or two windows, but eventually, let's say you've got 20 or 30 windows, and you're trying to bounce around. Eventually, the processing unit can only handle so much. You keep opening windows. You keep trying to handle so many things at one time. System overload. Crash. Reboot. Reset. Now, No big deal with a computer. Typically, you just turn it off, turn it back on, or do like I do, and you call Micah. Um, (laughs) But with our soul, it's far greater damage. The recovery process is a whole lot longer, and if we've crashed in our system, the time that it takes to rehabilitate and be restored from that on an emotional level and on a chemical level within our body is a very serious In many cases, people never reach the same place that they were before because of the damage that's been done, and it's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere. Listen to this, some statistics that'll blow you away. They say that an average person with a cell phone, which is every human being now, um, is living the majority of their lives in a virtual space instead of present in a moment. Now, I think I would probably ask if I said to raise your hand if you think that's probably true. Most people would probably raise their hand. If you wouldn't, all I would ask you to do is go hang out at the mall today or maybe go to a park on a nice day, look around and observe what most people seem to be doing. Daddy, I broke my arm. Just a second, buddy. I'll be there. Okay. What was that? Just present but absent. They say the average person touches their phone, makes contact with it at some way level over 2,600 times a day. Oh, yep, it's there. Here's the crazy part. Psychologically, just touching it, knowing it's there and it's with you, releases for many people a dopamine hit in their brain. They get pleasure, they get security out of that. I don't think I need to tell you what's wrong with that, right? If I'm getting security from touching my phone because it's there or pulling it out and seeing what just happened on the latest news feed and then I put it back away, that's a problem. That's a problem. Heavy users, they say it's over 5,000 times a day. They make contact, touch, hit whatever, with their virtual device. This is where we are going to as a culture. This is where we're living so much of our lives is through this space instead of in the moment. Think about this. If you were going to read your Bible an hour a day or pray, just worship, spend time with God, devotional time, whatever, hour a day, in one year, that would be 325 hours. I'm just checking to see if you're paying attention. All right. It would be 365 hours, right? Surveys. Average American. Guess how much time they spend on social media. You're like, oh, I don't even want to hear it. (laughs) Please, don't tell me. Uh, 700 plus hours a year. As far as one hour a day devotional time, studies show that the average person Spends it's maybe once every four days that they have a devotional moment, reading their Bible, praying, or something like that. I'm just saying, if we want to go where we want to go, we got to deal with what we got to deal with. We are slipping off into spiritual oblivion because of the culture of busyness that we are in. Teenagers, by the age of 21 the average male will have spent 10,000 hours in video games. Did you know you can get a master's degree in 10,000 hours? That is pretty significant. And we can see the trends here, right? That it's pulling us into this place that is causing us to be present in a moment but absent while we're there. And that's what Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, you have got it all wrong. You are addicted to busy. You're divided in many parts. You're over anxious. You're stressed out. And you're missing everything about the moment that's here and now that you have an opportunity to seize. And guess what? It's never coming back again. You're never going to get it again. And I come to you today as your pastor, but I want to be very transparent at the same time. Frankly, I have struggled deeply with this. Deeply. God started working this thing out in me a little over a year ago. Again, fall of 2018, he started to open my eyes to some things, and I started to realize I have a problem. I'm not okay in this area. In fact, I'm really some someone, one of these people who are addicted to busy. It really hit me whenever I made a decision a little over a year ago to actually take a Sabbath. Go figure, huh? I mean, I would have told you, oh yeah, Sabbath, absolutely, sure, yeah, of course, no way. There would never a moment in my life up until over, just over a year ago where there was a 24-hour period of time where I was not engaged in some sort of work activity. Just, I've lived my whole life almost not doing that. And A little over a year ago, God opened my eyes. I said, okay, I'm going to start taking a Sabbath. Now, it would be awesome if I could tell you, it's like, oh, I just got a hold of that truth, and praise God, everything just changed overnight, you know, and I'm just awesome now, loving it. It has just been a struggle. It hit me really hard, Dan, when one day, it's like the Sabbath, I take my Sabbath on Mondays, and I said, okay, you know, I'm just going to rest or whatever, and I realized I I actually have to turn my phone off. I'm going to have to power this baby down, because if it's on, aside from the alerts and notifications and everything else that's coming in that, you know, I got to respond to, there's just the need to go and see what's happening, man, I can got a couple minutes to shoot a few emails let's respond to a couple messages here right so I turn my phone off power it down completely literally just a couple hours in to the day I'm going through withdrawals withdrawals like I f- I'm feeling myself stressed out because I want to go to my phone and see and I feel like I can just be a little productive here but then I know like I'm not supposed to do that like what's going on I feel like Matt you're a mess you really have a problem Listen to the New York Times article last year, definition of addiction. Addiction is the relentless pursuit, I'm sorry, the relentless pull to a substance or activity that becomes so compulsive it ultimately interferes with everyday life. I'm addicted. I was. I'm recovering now. And I'm being dead serious. Like, the process of recovering and rehabilitating from this has really been a hard fight. Because even just sitting and being and just enjoying moments, it's hard to do. I'm getting better, but it's still, it's, it's just hard to do. Like, to sit for an hour or two and just talk and just hang out or just watch my kids play, like, I still think about going back to that phone. I still think about shooting that message. I still think about figuring out what's going on. I'm trying to stop Get myself from even thinking about that and disrupting the moments that I'm in. And in fact, publicly, I just want to say uh, to my wife and my kids, my family, I am sorry for every moment you have lost for me. I'm sorry. because it's really an issue and it's it's hitting everywhere but here's what's crazy the people that have created this world that we live in and again i'm not saying technology is the enemy these devices are just abstract things they're inert they have no life in them right they're just things we what we do with them we are either being ruled by them or we are ruling them one or the other But the people who've created this world that we live in, this is what's amazing. In Silicon Valley, the highest tech capital of the world, tech moguls who are millionaires and billionaires are paying outrageous amounts of money to send their kids to private schools that are, guess what? Device free. Does that blow you away or what? Device free. Studies show that the average attention span of an American in 2000, 12 seconds. Average attention span. 2018, it's down to eight seconds. Goldfish, nine seconds. We're losing to goldfish. (laughs) That's sad. It really is. I want to share this with you just a few lines from an interview. This interview was done with a man named Sean Parker. If you've seen the movie Social Network, you probably know who he is. Sean Parker founded the company Napster, and then he went on to be one of the founding members of Facebook. Actually, was one of the, I think, the first president of Facebook whenever they launched. He's a multi-billionaire now. And so, they were interviewing him about this chronic issue of busyness and where people are living their lives. I I want you to hear what this guy has to say about this. He says, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first one of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone likes or comments on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content And that's going to get you more likes and more comments. It's basically a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. The inventors or creators, yeah, that's me, and Mark Zuckerberg and Kevin Seistrom on Instagram, it's all of these people. We understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. And really, it's not even any more to the point where they're competing. I say your time, I'm going to say your soul, your emotions, your mind, your passions, everything. They're not just competing for it. Frankly, they're taking it. And it's all worked out through a bunch of fancy algorithms and formulas where they analyze data that's fed into these devices, and then they process it in order to feed things back to you that hook you and draw you in and consume more of you. I say time, but it's your mind, it's your emotions, it's, it's your energy, it's your passion, it's, it's you. It's more of you, your being, that it's taking and consuming. And there was an article last year in Forbes magazine, I think October or September, talked about, is your phone listening to you? Now, this is a little bit right now of a conspiracy theory. I get that. So I'm not saying one way or another, but listen, there are multiple instances where people will say something like, I've always wanted to go to Thailand. And then for the next week, they're getting ads popping up in their news feeds and different things, how to book a trip to Thailand. This is happening all over. Now, the, the, the fact that that's possible is verified. The fact that companies are doing that, they can't really say for sure. But there's this whole thing of like, even if they do, it's not really an invasion on your privacy because you're using a device. Here is what's absolutely true and validated. When you use Siri and you speak into something or you're on a call or you're doing something, your device can record that information, analyze it through algorithms and process data that feeds something back to you. And that information is being sold to companies through marketing agencies all over the place all the time. They, they are competing, they are pulling, they are taking from our being. <laughs> and so what I'm trying to say is that we have to rule over this. For, for me, a little over a year ago, it was like a curtain dropped. It was like all of a sudden, I saw behind the curtain... And saw what was there that I was obstructed in my view of all along. And so you think, well, what's behind the curtain? Do you want to see what's behind the curtain? <laughs> and again, these divide I don't want you to look at these and say, that's the devil! Ah, the devil! <laughs> I, I, look the solution isn't to just go live in a hut in the middle of nowhere and be an island off to yourself that's not the solution either the solution is to rule over this thing is to be in control of your own soul and rule your spirit so that these things are not ruling you. As opposed to... And it's really this whole condition of busyness, overstimulation, constant flow of speed of information that we're trying to process and take in. The human mind is not built for the quantity of content that we are absorbing at the rate we are absorbing it. It will reach a malfunction status. Now, everybody probably has a different threshold, different capacity, but every one of us have a breaking point. Are you living stressed out? Do you have trouble focusing On things, Do you have trouble sleeping at night? Do you have trouble being present in the moment when you're there? Are you constantly feeling pulled in this direction to go somewhere else in your mind instead of being right where you are? You think about what it's doing to the younger generation. I mean, they're growing up in an age right now where they don't even know any different. At least for the most of us that are like me, 30 and older, right at 30... We remember a day where these things didn't exist. We have a context of comparison. For our younger generation, they're coming up and they know no other way. The generation beyond them, just think of how detrimental and devastating this can be to a society. It's the zombie apocalypse, Dan. People walking around, present but absent, in every single moment of their lives. What a threat this is. What a threat this truly is to our spiritual fulfillment of our destiny of going deep with God and being the people that he's calling us to be in the moments and in the environments that he's placed us in. But praise God that he offers the victory. He offers the solution to this. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Hear the words of Jesus. I I pray you really hear these words today. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls Oh, that sounds so sweet. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says Are you burned out? Are you overworked? Are you fatigued? Are you mentally like a mess? Are you experiencing stress, anxiety, tension all the time? Are you getting angry and exploding at people at the stoplight because they're not going when it turns green? Some of you are. I saw you. <laughs> Do you flip out and have a meltdown when you can't find your keys because you don't have any minute to spare to get where you're supposed to be because you've been so overcrowded all day and you just have enough time to do this? You leave no margin in your life? Jesus is saying, is that you? Guess what? Come to me. Come to me, you who are in that place, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest, get this, for your soul your inner being, your, your, your mind, your emotions. I'll give you rest so that you can live from a place of rest. But listen, get this, you gotta get this. He says, here's what I'll do, I'll give you my yoke. And you take your yoke upon you, or you take my yoke upon you because it's easy and it's light. So you gotta know what a yoke is to get this. A yoke was a, a piece of farming equipment back in the day and they would have this wooden uh, beam host, they would have two collars on the ends, and they would hook it to two animals, usually oxen, and then those two oxen would begin to work together because they were yoked together And they could do exponentially more than one oxen could do. Get this. They were actually even more effective and more productive than if you took the productivity of one oxen and added it to the productivity of two oxen. If you actually hook them together, they would get more accomplished because there was a multiplying factor from working together synergistically. So you say, Jesus says, give me, take my yoke. He said, dude, I need a nap. Last thing I need is another piece of working equipment. Last thing I need is something that talks more about work. That's exactly the point. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying you're just going to sit in a hole and never do anything. He's saying... You labor because I've created you to labor. You work because I've created you to work. But here's where you've got it all wrong. You're walking around and you've got a yoke hooked to you, but it's dragging on the ground and you're trying to do it like this and you're burning yourself out and you're staying so busy that you're in all these different places that you're never actually being as effective as I've created you to be. Here's the key. Take the yoke, hook it to me. Let's go hand in hand and arm in arm. And while we do this thing, we will work Together, but you will be at rest in your soul. Isn't that good? I love that. To me, that's the answer. That's the solution. I'm created for good works, and so are you. We're created to exercise dominion over the earth, to labor and fulfill a calling. But Jesus says if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it from a place of rest, or you will crash and burn if you try to do this thing on your own. You will never fulfill the calling of God on your life until you hook yourself to Jesus and let him carry the load for you. He'll do the heavy lifting. He says it's easy and it's light. How about that? We put a yoke on and all of a sudden our load gets lighter. The weight from the pressures of life begin to fade off of us. And we take it in rhythm as it comes and we process it in a healthy way and our soul stays in a place of rest. Listen to the way those same verses read in the Message Bible. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? You see, what Jesus does here, he doesn't offer an escape. Do you get that? People are trying to escape this in so many things. He doesn't offer an escape, he offers equipment. Huh. He says, take the yoke. Let's keep working, but let's work together now. Let me shoulder the load so that you can actually do this from a place of rest and you can remain healthy in your soul so that you can be the person that, I'm created, that I've created you and I'm calling you to be. That's why Paul emphatically says in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Listen, make sure, please, that you walk uprightly, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time means to exchange the moments for something of value and to not be depleted by that. To actually exchange it for something meaningful and important. Guess what? The great equalizer for every single one of us is we only have 24 hours in a day. We all have different gifts. We're all born in different homes, different families, different places. I get that. Those are all variables that contribute to kind of where we're at and how, who we are and all that stuff. But every one of us have 24 hours in a day. And he says, make sure that you redeem. Exchange the time for something meaningful and important. And Jesus said, Mary... She redeemed the time. Martha, it's being stolen from you. You're being robbed from the things that matter most because you're caught up in a place where you're somewhere else that you really shouldn't even be right now. I think, if I'm honest, I want to be Mary. But really, I think I'm I'm more like Martha, and I don't want to be. I want to change. And I'm committed to this. And I've been working through this with God. And again, it has been painful. And it has been difficult. But praise God, he he is leading me through this. And it is changing my life. I didn't even realize the place that I had got to. And he opened my eyes to see what I needed to see. Because I believe he was saying, this is a roadblock that we have to remove if you're gonna get where you wanna go. And so I wanna ask you today, as I close, are you burdened? Are you overworked? Are you stressed out? Do you have an acceptance for a mild level of depression, anxiety, and stress? Is that kind of normal for you? If so, that's not okay that's not okay and please hear me you can only go on so long like that you will crash and it will hurt and there will be a whole recovery process that will need to happen if you do i pray that we get a hold of this today that we look at what's going on in our world around us we see what the enemy is trying to do, to use different tools and different things in our world to basically lure us into a chronic state of busyness and distraction. Don't let these things pull you from what matters most. You may think, I just need more time in a day. I've said that before. Here's what's crazy. If we just automatically, everybody just got five more hours in a day, you know what? We just fill it up anyway. We just fill it up with more busyness. And then we'd add more weight and more pressure, and it would just expedite the process of crushing us. It's not about more time, it's about how you live your life. It's about who's in control. Are you hooking your yoke to Jesus and walking with him? I want to pray this prayer with all of us as we close, but I I want you to really put yourself in this place where you see where you are and then you see Jesus opening his arms inviting you in stepping into this place with him and allowing him to hook his yoke to you just feel the weight come off feel yourself get light feel how easy And light, His burden truly is. Now begin to walk with Him. Let's go plow. Let's go labor. Let's go do good works. Let's go be the people we're called to be to make an impact in this world. But please, hear me, church. Let's do it from a place of rest. Father, in Jesus' name, we humble ourselves now and we come before You. God, as you extend your yoke to us and offer us a way to live with these pressures of life in a way where we truly can rule over them, we accept that yoke. We hook ourselves to you. Jesus, we say, carry the load. Carry the load. Lead us and guide us and help us Plow ground where you're leading us to go, that we may be fruitful for you and for the kingdom while we are here on this earth. In Jesus' name.